and welcome to the Opera Cheat Sheet. I'm Sinjin Flynn. And I'm Eric Skelly. And this time we're talking about Bela Bartok's Bluebeard's Castle, Eric, which debuted in Budapest in 1918. An early work by Bartok. Yeah, but very, very quintessentially Bartok. It draws you into a, a very colorful world, although oftentimes a very dark world. Bluebeard's Castle is based on a French fairy tale by Charles Perrault. And it's a one act. Yes. With two singers. Right. You have Bluebeard and Judith. Yes. Who is his wife. Right. Bluebeard is, is sung by usually a bass baritone. Mm-hmm. But sometimes, I mean, it's, it's one of those roles that uh, a lot of different voice types can sing. You sometimes hear baritones, full baritones. Sometimes a bass like Samuel Ramey with a great big giant top can do it. And then Judith also is a what they call in Germany a, a Zwischenfach role. You can be sung by either a soprano or a mezzo. Uh, a soprano with nice low notes or a mezzo that's got a nice high extension. But uh, in both cases, it's a big, big sing. We are in the dark hall of a castle. And you can make out seven doors. And Judith and Bluebeard arrive at the castle. They have eloped. Yes. She's left everything behind to follow him. And he asks her if she wants to stay. And she says, yes, but I want you to open these doors. We need to let some light in because it's dark. Right. And he refuses. Why does he refuse? Well, it's a fairy tale that, that's got its predecessors in, in other uh, – in mythology. You think of Cupid and Psyche. Uh, you think in, in opera, you think of Lohengrin and Elsa. It's the male figure who pledges himself to the woman on the condition that she not ask too many questions. <laughs> Which, of course, she does. <laughs> And he says, if you're going to stay with me, ask no questions. But she persists and she wears him down and he gives her the key to the first door. Mm -hmm. And she goes, puts the key in the door, opens it, and this bolt of red light. saturated red light. Comes through the door and lights up the hall. And she looks inside and it's a torture chamber. That's not good. (laughs) (laughs) That is not a good sign. And the red is from all the blood Blood. that stains the walls and the floor. And at first, she's sort of repelled, but then she's sort of intrigued. Yeah. And she asks for the second door to be opened. Right. So the second door is opened, and this bolt of of sort of reddish-yellow, bronzy light streams through. And she looks in, and it's an armory Mm -hmm. full of weapons. Mm Mm-hmm. And they're all stained with blood as well. But she keeps going. <laughs> she, she wants to see what's in every room. She wants to know him completely. Despite what she's seen you know, with the torture chamber and the armory, she wants to know all there is to know. So she opens the, the third to, door. opens the third door. And this gold light shines through. And she looks in, and it's the treasury. Right. But the money is all stained by blood. She goes on, though, and opens the fourth door. And what's behind the fourth door? The garden. This wonderful, beautiful garden. And the light that comes through is this blue, presumably the the sky over the top of this garden. Right. 
Let me get to my favorite door. <laughs> door number five. Yes. She opens it, and this blinding light shines through because it's the doorway looks out over the whole of Bluebeard's kingdom. Talks orchestra vividly describes the light that comes out of each door, and in this case, the entire orchestra erupts in <laughs> these gigantic chords. It's just one of the most magnificent moments. Well, in opera, really, it's just it's it's quite spine tingling. The problem is that in each of these different doors, whatever is behind the door is stained somehow with blood. Even looking out over Bluebeard's kingdom, the clouds are stained red. Right. And And yet she goes on. (laughs) Well, he pleads with her to stop. He says the castle is as light as it can possibly get. It will not get any brighter. But she does want to carry on. She opens the sixth door. And what happens when she opens the sixth door? She sees water. She sees water, but also there's no great light that comes through. And in fact, the castle, the room where they are, is darkened again. And she asks, what's up with the water? What's up with this lake of, of water? It's a lake of tears. Where did the tears come from? We don't know. We're about to find out. We're about to find out. (laughs) Again, Bluebeard says to Judith, don't open the final door. Just love me as I am. Ask no more questions. And does she listen? Oh, no, of course not. Of course not. She then asks him. I I think the one thing that is still sort of nagging at the back of her mind, and she asks him about his former wives. Did he have any? Did he love them, etc.? And then she says, I think she's got an inkling that they're behind the last door. Yeah. And, and he may right. have, <laughs> and he may have murdered them. Yeah, there's something horrific behind the door. Yeah, and again, he doesn't want her to open it. Let's call it quits. Let's just go with what we've got right now. Right. <sighs> but no. <laughs> so Bluebeard hands over the key to right. the final door. So the door is opened, and behind the door are three former wives of Bluebeard. Each of them beautiful. They're still alive. And alive. Not only are they beautiful, they are dressed in their finery, in their jewels and in their crowns. And they come out silently. And Bluebeard gets on his knees before them all. He he attempts to comfort them to to an extent. He, he, He hails their beauty and he assures them that they that he hasn't forgotten them and he hails the first wife as the morning of his life mm-hmm. right and then the second is is uh sort of the noon noon time, noon time. 
represents the noon of, of his life. And the third is the evening. And as he does this, they each go, you know, through the door. Because they're all weighed down by the the jewelry and the crown, et cetera, mm-hmm. that they wear. Mm-hmm. But they're very heavy. Mm-hmm. And they're sort of drooping under the weight. And he finally turns to Judith and he says that she is the most beautiful of all and she is the knight of his life. Of his life. And she puts on uh, a crown and a robe from the third the third door and joins the other wives. And they march back through the door and it closes, it closes. behind them. Right. Fade to black, end of opera. Pretty much. <laughs> so what's going on here? <laughs> well, again, it's that it's that old, you know, it's uh, Jung would have a field day with this. It's that old trope. It's that the woman in in these stories always has this need. She's got to know everything she can about the man that she's pledged herself to. And the man says, no, don't ask, don't ask. You're going to ruin it. You're going to ruin it. And she does anyway. And here again, you know, at the very end, he's left alone. Because the same thing has happened as presumably has happened with the other three wives. Exactly. Exactly right. But the takeaway from this is that you've got a score by Bartok that just beautifully, uh, well, not you know, it, I, I shouldn't say that. It's not always beautiful. I mean, some of it is gorgeous. I mean, just really beautiful and uh, magnificent in the case of the fifth door. But it, as befits the subject matter, some of it is very disturbing. It's thorny. disturbing. Thorny music, yeah. Appropriate to its subject matter. Absolutely. Very uh, expressionistic, very evocative. It's been said that Bartok was influenced in this regard by uh, Debussy. Ah, well, there you go. Bela Bartok's Bluebeard's Castle. That's this week's Opera Cheat Sheet. I'm Sinjin Flynn. And I'm Eric Skeller. Thank you for listening. Thank you.